book of Romans, and we're up to chapter 10 this morning. Just to warn you, the font is really small in the bulletin, and uh, that is hopefully to motivate you, as we often say, to motivate you maybe to bring your Bible, and you can follow along in there instead of in the bulletin. Um, and uh, if I make references to other, other verses or passages, you can always look those up and things like that. But uh, I encourage you to look in your Bible, or if you, if you have a phone and you have an app on your phone, you can look at it there. But uh, we're going to look at Romans 10 today. There, there, are a, um, there are a few, like, big, big mysteries that um, I think the Bible teaches us. And, and uh, there are things that, that seem to maybe contradict each other, um, that we can't fully comprehend, that we can't totally understand, that the Bible teaches, and, uh, and it's just beyond our comprehension. Um, one of those things is the Trinity, you know, the fact that God is one, and he's also three. Those two things are true, and we can't grasp it. Another thing is that Jesus is fully God, and he's also fully human, fully man. Those two things are absolutely true. The Bible teaches us that, and yet it's impossible for us to understand. Um, the third thing that I would say, maybe number three on that list, is the fact that God is completely and totally sovereign over everything. He rules over everything. He's in control of everything so that he can work out everything according to, to his purposes and his plans, exactly how he wants. And yet, at the same time, we are responsible for what we choose to do and how we live. And these two things don't seem to make sense. They don't seem to go together. We can't figure it out. But these are two things that the Bible absolutely teaches. And we see that in Romans 9 and 10. Romans 9, as we looked at last week, we talked about how, how Paul, Paul, you know, he's just made this, this, these, in Romans 8, he's talked about how God works all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And he says, nothing is going to be able to, to tear uh, his people away from him and his love. And then so Paul starts to think, well, what about the Israelite people? You know, God chose the Israelites in the Old Testament, and yet so many of the Israelite people aren't embracing Jesus, and they're not following God and, and believing in him. So, so does that mean that God's word isn't true, that, that he isn't really working in all things for his, the good of his people, and that, and, and that he's going to carry them on through um, all those that he's, uh, he's, he's called? And, and, and so in Romans 9, he says, no, the reality is that everybody that's, that's part of Israel isn't really Israel. They're not really his people. And, and it, it's really dependent on the fact that he has chosen to show mercy on whom he wants to show mercy. Um, and, and, and so out of that comes the fact that if we have come to know Jesus, the only reason for that is because God has chosen to pour out his mercy upon me and to grab a hold of me. That it, he's completely responsible for that. And so that begs the question, well, does that mean that I'm just a robot? Does that mean that I'm just completely helpless, that I'm not supposed to do anything? And I think... Uh, um, as we get into Romans 10, as you'll see, um, we see something else is absolutely true and at work. Um, because he addresses the issue of the people of Israel again from another angle, and he says the reason that some people, some of the Israelites aren't following God and believing in Jesus, the, rea the real reason for that is also that they have chosen to not believe. <laughs> they have chosen to turn their own way. And so, um, so we're going to look at Romans 10 and think about that. You know, what, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for, for what God calls us to do? Okay. So listen to God's word as I read from Romans 10. I'm going to read the whole chapter, verses 1 to 21. 
brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that's the Israelites, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, um, we, we pray that you would help us as we look at your word, because we need your help. We need your spirit to open our eyes. We need your spirit to show us Christ. So, Father, we pray that you would show Jesus to us now and that you would also make our hearts ready and receptive to see him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Harold Crick is a character played by Will Ferrell in the movie Stranger Than Fiction. I don't know how many of you guys have seen that movie. It's almost 20 years old now. But it's a really, really interesting movie. And, and so Harold Crick is this character. He's just a regular guy. He's an IRS agent living a, a regular life. And uh, he's brushing his teeth one morning. And all of a sudden, as he's brushing his teeth, he hears a woman, her voice, inside his head. And she's narrating everything that he's doing. Everything that he's doing, she's describing. And she's narrating. And, and she's narrating it all in very specific detail. And then it, it doesn't stop. He continues to go about his life, and, and the narrator, this woman, continues to, to just narrate and describe everything that he's doing, all that he's doing, everything, everything that she says happens. And it's making him a little crazy. 
And he's like, what is going on? Why, why won't this voice just shut up? I, I can't stand it anymore. And so he starts to try to figure out, who is this woman's voice? Who is this voice that's narrating everything that he's saying? And, and, uh, and he gets some help from some different people, and he finds out that, that the, the, the woman's voice is actually the voice of this famous author who's writing a book. And, uh, and it turns out he's the, the main character of the book that she's writing. And, uh, and so everything that she says, everything that she writes is coming true in his life. And, and it's just kind of driving him nuts until it reaches another level. As he's waiting to get on a bus at one point, in one scene in the movie, he hears her say, little did Harold know that events had been set in motion that would ultimately end is in, in his Im- imminent death. And then his immediate reaction is like, what? Why? Come on! And he's like, what is going on? The rest, of the, mo- the rest of the movie is about him trying to like, figure out, can he do anything to avoid this, his imminent death? You know, can he find this woman who's writing the story of his life and convince her to change her mind? Can he do anything, or is he just helpless to resign himself to his fate, to his destiny? And I think that's actually, um, that movie really kind of uh, helps us think about some of the, the, the questions that are raised by Romans 9 and 10. As I said before, Romans 9 tells us that the only way any of us come to know God and experience his love for us is if he chooses to grab a hold of us and pour out his mercy on us. And, and at the end of Romans 9, I think a lot of us might be thinking, well, does that mean that we're all just a bunch of robots? Does that mean I'm just helpless? Do I, do I, just, you know, do I just let God do what he's going to do? But then as he gets into chapter 10, what we see is that there is something that he calls us to do. There are a couple things that he calls us to do that we absolutely have to do. If we don't do these, we won't experience his grace and his mercy. We won't experience his presence. And so that's what I want to look at this morning. What is it that that God is telling us we must do, we are responsible to do? And and there's two just specific things, simple things, I think. Um, The first thing he tells us we're responsible to do is to believe, is to cultivate a believing heart. That's what he calls us to do. um, Throughout this chapter, Paul hammers home the need for for anyone to believe, right? The word believe comes up a bunch of times. Did you notice that, how often he talks about believing? But in in verse 9, he lays it out clearly, where he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. It's all about believing. He's calling us to believe. Believe. And he, you know, he says, confess with your, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I don't think he's talking about two different things, two different steps that we have to take. I think these are two aspects of the same thing, that if you, in your heart, that you believe in God and trust in him that you cannot help but confess that he is Lord. That's what he's calling us to do, to cultivate a believing heart. And so I want to just take a couple minutes to talk about what does it mean to have a believing heart? What does that look like in daily practice? Um, So to have a believing heart begins with acknowledging deep down in your heart that you do not have it in you to do life on your own. You cannot do life without God. It begins there. 
begins with a, an understanding of how helpless you are and how desperately you need God for everything. You see, Paul begins this chapter by lamenting over the Israelites who are not saved, right? He says, brother, my, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. What's the problem with the Israelites? Why are they not saved? He says, because it's, he talks about how they have a zeal for God. They're really passionate. The Israelites have been passionate about God and, and about the law that God had given them. But they're not saved. They're not saved. Why have they not come to a place where they experience a relationship with God, where they, they, they know God's love for them, and they're able to live in the security of God, God's favor? Why are they not saved? Well, the problem is, is that they've been pursuing God in the wrong way. How have they been pursuing God? It says in verse 3, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. That's their problem. They've been trying to establish their own righteousness. Remember, we've talk, been talking about righteousness as we've been going through the book of Romans, but righteousness is essentially the state of being accepted by God. The state of being accepted by God. And, and, so, and so they've been pursuing trying to be accepted by God by establishing their own worthiness. They've thought to themselves, if, if I can try hard enough, then God will forgive me and love me and be on my side. If I, can, if I can obey enough of God's laws, then I will be righteous and God will be with me. His favor will be on my life. Their focus has been on their own ability and their own strength and their own effort. They have failed to realize that they can't do life on their own. They have failed to realize that what they really need is that they can't be good enough. They can't be righteous enough. They can't obey the laws enough for God to love them. And what they really need is for God to give them righteousness. What they really need is, is to get their righteousness from him. And then it ends up in verse 4. He says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, the thing is, Jesus came into our world in order to live a perfect life of righteousness, the life that we are not capable of living. He completely and totally obeyed the law of God in all sorts of ways, in every, every single way. And the only way for us to, to find that righteousness is to receive it from Jesus. When it says Christ is the end of the law, it's not saying that Jesus made the law irrelevant for us. Still, the law tells us about who God is and how God wants us to live. But what he means is Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ is the end of the law of looking to the law as the thing that will make us worthy, as the thing that will make us valuable and significant, as the thing that will give us acceptance with God. And so we, we, we need to come to a place where, where we recognize that as and when I think about my spiritual life, when I think about my relationship with God, I cannot sustain that relationship. I can't. I need God. I need God to give me his righteousness. I need God to say, you are accepted, not based on what I've done or, or what I'm trying to do, not based on me trying to do my best to be a good person, but based on what Jesus has done for me. That's what a believing heart begins with. It begins with saying, I can't do life on my own. I, I need God to give me his righteousness. But it applies to more than just his righteousness, I think. To have a believing heart says, yes, I need God to make me worthy. I need God to declare that I'm acceptable. 
I need God to do what needs to be done in Jesus so that I can have a good relationship with him. But then as I live my life, I also need to realize that I can't do any of it on my own either. I think it applies to every aspect of our life. To, to believe in your heart is to be constantly, constantly looking to God to help me with everything. I've been rereading a book called The Praying Life by Paul Miller. Um, and I've, I think I've recommended this book before. I don't think many of you have t- taken me up on it. But there is a copy in the foyer, okay? And it's free. You can take it. So the first one there after the service can grab it and read it. I recommend it. It's a fantastic book. It's a great book on, the, on, on what it means to pray and how to grow a life of prayer. And, uh, and one of the things that he says in the early, early on in the book is he says you know, one of the reasons that we don't pray is because we're under the illusion that we can do life on our own. We're under the illusion that, that I, can, I can tackle this day on, in my own strength. I can solve the problems in my, with my own wisdom. You know, I can, I can love my spouse I, 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 just by trying to be a better husband, you know. I can, I can raise my kids by just, you know, reading enough books and, and trying to learn enough to, to have the right strategies. I can, I can do my work because I've taken a lot of classes and I've got degrees in this area of expertise and I know what I'm doing. But the reality is, is that we need God for everything. We need his spirit to, to help us do everything. That, that's the sort of attitude that, that cultivates a life where you're constantly praying. A person who's praying all the time is, is praying all the time because they're like, I can't get out of bed unless God helps me get out of bed. That's the sort of heart that, that I would say is a believing heart. A heart that, that is constantly looking to God to take the next step. And so to have a believing heart begins with, with saying, I, I can't do life on my own. I need God. I can't do it without God. I can't, I can't do my marriage without God. I can't raise my kids without God. I can't be the friend that I need to be without God. I can't do whatever I'm called to do in my, in my vocation, in my work without God. I can't do any of it. Next, a believing heart is, is confident that Jesus is able to give me all that I need. A believing heart is confident that Jesus is able to give me all that I need in every moment. When, when we confess Jesus as Lord, right, he, he starts talking about this. In verse 9, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what are we doing when we confess that Jesus is Lord? We're saying that he rules over everything. Jesus is Lord. He is sovereign. He is able to provide for me, to take care of me. When I confess that Jesus is Lord, I'm confessing that he is able to take care of me, right? When we believe that he was raised from the dead, it reflects the fact that, I, you know, Jesus was raised from the dead. He, he faced death. Death is the thing that represents, you know, all that is broken in our world, and Jesus faced it and triumphed over it. When we believe in our hearts that Jesus raised, that God raised Jesus from the dead, we are believing that he is able to work in the face of whatever is broken in my life. Whatever it is. Whether it's a broken relationship or a health issue or a, a work thing that's just totally overwhelming me. He is able to work in anything and everything that is broken in the midst of my life. When, when I, I uh, it says, 
with the heart one believes and is justified. To, to believe and know that I am justified. We talked about what justification is, right? To be justified is for God to declare that you are righteous, that you are enough for him, that he delights in you. That's what it means to be justified. And, and so, so to, to have a believing heart is to know that, that because of Jesus and all that he has done for me, that, that God couldn't be more pleased with who I am right now. It's to believe that he delights in pouring out his favor on me. Not because I'm trying my hardest to earn it, but because Jesus has already earned it for me. It is to believe that, it says here, that he bestows riches in verse 12. He bestows riches on all who call on him. He bestows riches. He, de- he, he delights in giving us good things out of all that he has. It reminds me of Romans 11, I mean Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6 says, says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anybody that comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. To have a believing heart is, is to be confident that, that God is just waiting. He can't wait to reward me. He can't wait to pour out good things on my life. And so it, it really is to, to wake up every morning being confident that God's attitude towards me is only good and that he can't wait to, 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 to weave all sorts of good things into the story of my life. You know, it's, it's basically having a, a really positive and optimistic attitude every time, you, every time you wake up in the morning, no matter what the day holds for you. And that's not just being positive and optimistic. We live in a world that says, you know, it's good to be positive. It's good to be optimistic. But, but that's, we have real reason to be optimistic about our day because, as he said in, in Romans 8, right, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? It's because Jesus lived and died and rose again. So I can be confident that today is going to be a good day. Even if there's pain involved. Lastly, a believing heart knows that all that God is and all that he has for me is not far from me. It's within my grasp. It's, it's within my reach. Look at verses 6 to 8. He says this, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. The word is near you. And of course, he's quoting the passage that Chuck read earlier in the service, right? Deuteronomy 30. Um, and in Deuteronomy 30, uh, you know, it, it looks as though what, what God is saying through Moses to the people is, is that, you know, if, if you obey my commands, then I'm going to be with you. But if you really look at that passage, what is he saying? What is he saying there? He, he's saying, you know, you don't have to travel really far to get to, to, for me to reveal myself to you, to get my words of instruction and love for you. I have come near. That's what God is saying in Deuteronomy 30. He's saying, I've come near, and I've brought my word near to you. I've given you my law. God coming near to the Israelites and giving them his law wasn't him saying, okay, you better do these things or else. It was saying, I love you. And this is that the law is what I'm giving you that, that gives you an opportunity to love me back. That's what it says in that passage. 
if you will love me and hold fast to me, I am here. You don't have to, you know, exhaust yourself trying to get near to me. I've already come near to you. It's realizing that all that God is and all that he wants to give us is here. That is what, that is what Jesus has done in the incarnation is that he came near to us to bring God's presence to us. We don't, have to, we don't have to climb up into heaven to bring Jesus down. He's already come down. After Jesus died, we didn't have to dig a hole and, 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 and do CPR to bring him up from the dead. He rose from the dead, and he is near. He is here. We don't have to exhaust ourselves trying to find him, trying to earn his presence or his love. Have you ever, um, and this probably happens to me way too often, have you ever, like, misplaced your phone or maybe your glasses, if you wear glasses, and you're like, oh, man, I just had it. Where is it? Where is it? And you start looking all over the room, and you're like, I can't find it. I can't find it. And especially your phone. Like, I'm like, did I lose my phone? You need your phone to live, right? And so you start looking all over the house, and you're looking in the adjacent rooms, and you can't find it there. And then you're like, okay, I got to start, you know, retracing my steps. And you're like going everywhere. You're even going outside. Did I leave it in the car? You know, you're looking. You're exhausting yourself trying to find your phone. Until after, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you realize it's in your pocket. Does that ever happen to you? Some of you. Or maybe your glasses are on your head the whole time. Or like sometimes I've been using a pencil and I'll stick it behind my ear and I'll totally forget it's there. And I'll be like searching for it. I mean, this is the reality of, of the presence of God. Like we think we have to do all sorts of things to get him to come near to us, but he's already come near. The word is near you. He is near you. The word of his love, of his presence. Just take hold of him. Just enjoy the fact that he is here. You don't have to exhaust yourself trying to get it. His presence is never out of your reach. His love is free, and it's right here. When Kim and I were first married, we didn't have a ton of money. And, uh, and so even like to, just to decide to go out to, to, we'd go out to eat, but we'd go out to eat and thinking like, always thinking about how much is this going to cost us, you know? And, uh, and, and at one point, in the first few years of our marriage, Kim's parents took us on a cruise. And I don't know how many of you guys have been on a cruise, but on a cruise, I think this is normal. It's just like the food is everywhere. And it's, it's already been paid for. It's, it's all free. You can just eat as much as often as you want. And it's, and it's always, there's like little snack shops, little, you know, ice cream parlors. Like, you're never out of sight of one, you know? And so it was like, it was blowing my mind. And I was like, I was like, you mean I could just like walk over and ask for a shake and they'll give it to me? And then I could drink it and then I could go back and ask for another one and they'll give it to me? <laughs> And then I could go back and get another one and, and drink another, a third shake, really? And I could go as often as I wanted, as many times as I wanted. It's never out of sight, never out of reach. I just like, I could just like, you know, out of control, just eat it, eat and eat, you know, as much as I wanted. And, and I mean, I think it's a picture of, he talks about the fact that he bestows riches on all who call on his name. He's never out of reach. His riches are never out of reach. We, we, we are never in, at a position to, to be able to just, God, give it to me. Give me what, my, what I need. Remind me that you're here and that you're more than enough. You're more than enough, no matter what is going on in your life. 
So this is what it means to have a believing heart. It's, it's to, to realize I, I can't do it on my own. Jesus is able to give me all I need. And all that God has for me is not far. It's not far. Um, and so that's one of the things that this chapter emphasizes, the, the, the need to believe, to abandon self-confidence, to trust in God, to believe that he's enough. Paul is saying that the reason anyone is not saved, anyone, the, the reason anybody does not have a relationship with God, it, don't blame him, blame yourself. He's not out of reach. Just believe. Just believe now, today. But then that kind of leads him in verse 14 to start thinking about, well, you know, uh, it's true. The, the only reason people don't know God and enjoy his love for them is because they don't believe. But, but a big issue is that in order to believe, they need to hear somebody tell them about Jesus. They need to hear the news of who Jesus is. This is, how, this is the thing. God chooses to pour out his grace on who he chooses to pour out his grace on, but he uses people to share Jesus with others. That's what he uses. And so not only do we need to cultivate believing hearts, but, but another thing that we need to do, he's calling us to do, is cultivate beautiful feet, Right? He says, how can they believe if they have not heard? How can they hear if, they have not, if somebody hasn't preached to them? And then he quotes this verse from Isaiah 52, where he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And he, he's making a reference in Isaiah about you know, a person, when, when a battle is won, and they'll send a messenger, a messenger to run with the news to tell the people about the, the victory that they have won, the good news that they, they, they have, that the, the enemy has been defeated. And when you see that person running towards you, their feet are beautiful because the news that they carry is what you need to hear. And, and this is what he, he simply, if, if, you, if you believe in Jesus and you read this, you cannot escape the fact that he calls you to start running. He calls you to start running to those around you that you have news that will change lives of the people around you, you, that you have news that they need to hear that's unbelievably good, that's better than any news that they could ever get in their lives. So why aren't we running? Why aren't we running? There, there, there are people in our lives that won't believe and find their life in Jesus unless you run to them and share Jesus with them and share what Jesus has done in your life with them and share the fact that God is near and he wants to love them. Share the fact that Jesus loved them so much that he died for them. Who has God put in your life that he wants you to run towards? today. And that doesn't mean that, that you, know, you need to go out and, and just like set somebody down and immediately like start going through the gospel outline with them. No, I mean, it, that might be what you need to do, but, but I mean, it, it means that you need to run towards people, to love them, to sacrifice yourself for them. And then when you have opportunity to explain exactly why, it's because Jesus has loved me and he loves you. And so work on your feet. Cultivate feet that are beautiful in the lives of the people around you. That they might be encouraged to believe 
that they might be encouraged to, to realize that they can't do lives, life on their own. That's, that's a big, big problem, right? We're surrounded. I mean, we ourselves don't believe we, I mean, believe we can do life on our, own, on our own because everybody else around us believes that as well. It's one of the things we need to convince people of. That's one of the things that beautiful feet remind people of. But also that God is everything that they need. Um, just coming back to verse 8, he says, The word is in your mouth. And in your heart, after, after he says, the word is near you, right? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Um, I think that in a way, what, one thing that he's saying, and I'll, I'll just kind of finish up here, is that, that the life of belief, of trust, of knowing God's love, it's in us, just waiting to get out. In other words, this is what you were made for. You were made to believe. You were made to to fling yourself into the arms of Jesus. That's what you were made for. That is the purpose of your life. To live trusting in God, loving God. If you are not walking with Jesus today, if you have not come to a place where you believe in Jesus, the word is in you. It's waiting to get out. You will be spinning your wheels unless you listen to that word in you. Just give into it, because that's what you're made for. But then as we think about you know, cultivating beautiful feet and, and sharing Jesus with the people around us, it can get overwhelming to we start thinking, well, it all rests on me. Um, but I think, you know, again, the word is in you. It is in your heart and in your mouth. Um, I think that also reminds us that as we share Jesus with people, as we try to, to share the love of Christ with others, um, God has, in a sense, um, placed some explosive charges in their heart already. And he's waiting to use you to light the fuse. As you think about running to those around you with the, with the, the beauty and the love of Jesus... Know that, that you don't do it alone. God's spirit is ready and waiting to help them confess and believe and see that that's what they were made for as well. And so I'll just leave us with this. Uh, Romans 10 encourages us to do something. Do something. This is what you are called to do today, to believe to believe. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, God calls you to believe. Believe. Maybe, maybe you haven't ever trusted in Jesus. He's calling you to believe today. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. He's calling you to believe. Believe that he's enough in your present circumstances, whatever they look like. And he's calling us to run. Run. Who are you going to run towards today? Let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you for your word that... Um, that it is in your word that you help us to see our need for you and, and to see that you are sufficient for us. Father, we pray that you would help us, that, that your spirit would continue to work on us, to help us to do.